Hi everyone, I'm Yasin Skali and welcome to this new season of Entrepreneur Talks, Station Nev's official podcast. Twice per month, we will offer an exclusive conversation with one great entrepreneur or personality. Together, we will analyze the keys to their success and understand the different struggles our guests faced. They will share their tips and the ones they wish they had before launching their own company. Don't hesitate to subscribe, share and leave a 5-star review so we can help democratize entrepreneurship. Enough talking, now sit tight and listen carefully because you're about to get inspired. Hello everyone, uh, this is Yasin talking to you live from Station F, the world's largest startup campus. And today for this podcast, I am thrilled and excited to be welcoming Ryan Hoover, founder of, well, co-founder of Product Hunt and Weekend Fund. How are you, Ryan? Hey, Yasin, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good, good. I hope we don't have too much lag. Like, can you hear me well? Yep. Yeah, you're coming in just fine. Excellent. So let me give to our audience a little bit view about how it's going to go. We're going to be together for 45, roughly 15 minutes. We will discuss all your, I mean, maybe not all your experiences, but definitely Product Hunt and uh, Weekend Fund. And I'm pretty sure there are, you know, a, a lot of similarities in the why you're building these uh, these, these services or, or tools, uh, products. And first of all, because I think that entrepreneurship is also, and yeah, first and foremost about human, I would love to know, to get to know you a little bit better. So I propose to you, Ryan, if you're okay, that I'm going to ask very simple question and you will have to answer. It's a bit personal, but it's going to be funny for sure. Mm. All right. Ready about Maybe. that? Okay. All right. My first question for you, what would be your chief characteristic or your main personality trait? Oh, uh, well, there, there's I didn't the, see it the was going to be and there's like the the uh, what you want to say. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm I'm a very habitual person is the truth. Um, and that's good and bad. Uh, so I love routines. I love predictability. I like uh, structure. And that works really well for entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship and also terrible. Um, there's some positive things to having a routine and being very diligent and, and focused. But then at, at the same time, entrepreneurship is about the unexpected as well. So uh, I don't know. That, that's definitely a core part of my personality, I would say. All right. It's a bit of a paradox, if I can hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Excellent. What do you appreciate the most in your friends? Oh, my friends? Um, so my closest friendships are, I mean, just the thoughtfulness in, in a few, few of the people. I, I won't name them on this podcast, but a few of my close friends are just extremely thoughtful and proactive. And there's someone I, I really trust and can open up to. And you know, be vulnerable with. And, um, and I guess it really comes down to like a, a true sincerity um, is what I really appreciate. I hope they will recognize themselves. I'm pretty sure. Um, third question, very broad. What's your idea of happiness? <laughs> idea of happiness. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing I'm trying to figure out, uh, to be quite honest. Like finding happiness is, is kind of, I think, mm, well, there's many debates on even what, what, what is happiness really. Um, but it's something that we're all looking for and something I've been seeking. Um, and I think I, fi I find it in moments, but, you know, life life is tough sometimes, even when it looks great. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's kind of a wandering journey uh, for myself and I think a lot of others. 
and that that's very clear and i do share that opinion with you um i have a, a question that i like and you can adapt it to any kind of context if it is personal or professional but basically if not yourself who would who would you be you know this this is like a there's the grass is always greener dynamic of life you know and it's always like mm -hmm. oh what if i was this person and had these things and you know uh, maybe life would be better and then you realize what you don't really realize is like they're doing the same thing about someone else and they have a lot of baggage or difficulties or challenges uh, that they're all fighting in internally that, you know, most people don't see. Maybe they're close friends if they have a few that they can be honest with. Um, so I don't know. It's in some ways it's like, I don't know, even the person who seems to have it all, maybe if I traded places, I'd be worse off. So maybe nobody uh, is, is the real answer. And that's a good answer. I guess it's always great to be a uh, good in your shoes. All right, I have two last questions and promise you then we can start this podcast. Um, I love this one. Who's your favorite heroes in real life? I've always had a really hard time answering these type of questions, like choosing somebody. Maybe part of it's like this this worry of um, if I choose someone, I'm not choosing somebody else <laughs> who, I, who I know and respect. Uh, so I don't know. I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass on that one. I don't, I don't know. All right. right too, too many people know you or you know too many people. <laughs> you don't want yeah, to hard them. Choose. So yeah, it's, got it. Yeah. I got it. No worries. All right. I think it's going to be the last one. What's the natural talent you would like to be give to be gifted with? To be gifted with. Yeah. Um, is it is it clear well, my question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, I'm I'm learning to produce music now. Started a couple of months ago, and um, it's really fun. It's it's a it's a different creative exercise in like building companies or products, and that's what I spent most of my time. Not just work, but just like my time in general is like work related things and and entrepreneurship. And uh, so yeah, music production's been really fun, and you know I'm I'm learning, and it's gonna take me a long time to build or create anything that I'm super proud of, but. You know, if I could fast yeah. forward, you know, a year or two of production work, uh, that'd be amazing. That's so funny because I have started like literally a month ago, literally music producing. It's more based on rap. What do you, uh, what kind of uh, music do you produce? Uh, generally electronic music, but I am, that's very broad, of course. So, you know, electronic music encompasses many different genres and, and uh, so I'm figuring it out. Eventually I want to figure out what my sound is and, and what kind of genre I want to like maybe uh, narrow in on. But um, for now, I'm just learning and tinkering and exploring. All right. Well, cannot wait to listen to your uh, musical productions. Anyways, this is the end of the personal uh, part of this podcast. And now let's get back to very professional, even though I think, well, that's like a first question. Before we're talking about uh, Product Hunt, I know it's really broad, but are you able today... Um, you know, to make the difference between professional and personal life, especially as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I've always had a difficulty with like the whole live work balance thing or life work balance because um, it, it kind of implies like attention, like a, that, like they're, they're at odds. Like if you're working, you're not living your life or vice versa. And mm -hmm. in the end, they kind of all blend together. Like my, my close friends are also in many ways like business partners. Uh, you know, my life is, is I, I work, remotely on my own schedule for the most part so you know theoretically i could take friday off and i could work saturday and like what's the difference and so i think life and work is is more and more fluid and more integrated than ever before particularly for like knowledge workers or people in technology so for mm -hmm. me i don't know i've i've kind of I, i would like to almost like remove that tension or that that perceived trade-off because i don't think life needs to be like that per se 
And, and so, yeah, for me, historically, I've been very focused on work stuff for better or worse. I think it's been very rewarding and, and, um, fun. Like for me, work when it's done well, is just fun. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm struggling to, to, to stay motivated or, or be focused. It's just, Oh, this is what I wake up in the morning this is what I want to do. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so that's, that's the way I think about it. But, um, the challenge is figuring out what you want to do professionally. And I think a lot of people struggle with figuring out what is their core, what, what are they made for? Like what's natural to them? What feels like fun? What are they good at? And most people never find that, I think. And, and, and I feel that you need to try, uh, you know, you need to go to the, uh, on the action to discover maybe some kind of passions. I feel that you have discovered that quite early on. I don't know if it's entrepreneurship or I don't know if it's helping the ecosystem, but can you tell us a bit, well, can you present a bit about Product Hunt, even though I feel that most of, our audience knows already and use um, Product Hunt. But yeah, what is it? And basically, what's the why? Like, what was the view that you had when you decided to build such a product, such a great product? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, this goes back to the music production comment earlier. Like, I actually love creating mm-hmm. things. I've sort of realized creating things has been where I get the most energy. And this could be a, a software product, like something like Product Hunt. Um, it could be a community, broadly speaking. Before Product Hunt, I used to host like, meetups every now and then or like brunches with small groups of people and ran like a newsletter kind of, uh, before that, like a year or two before that. And, um, and, and even when I was a kid, I, uh, you know, built a tree fort and that was fun. It was like a creative exercise. So for me, a lot of it's about like expressing myself through creativity and, and product hunt was, was one which was born out of, you know, the classic scratch your own itch thing. So it was like, I love technology. I love products. I was a product manager, I felt like professionally, one of my jobs was basically to see what people are building and get inspired. And mm-hmm. what I really wanted was just a list of cool products that were launching every day. And so that that's how it started. It was really just a simple idea of like, okay, me, maybe me and my friends will, you know, find these things and share it in this like collaborative email digest is how it started. And um, from there, you know, expanded more into a community, more of a, um, you know, a launch place for new makers and startups and founders around the world. And, um, and yeah, it's been... What, it's been over nine years since Product Hunt started, so it feels like an eternity ago in startup world. But uh, yeah, it's still still out there thriving. And yeah, we can see it every day. And basically, you sold it to um, to Angelist. We'll come back to this a little bit later. I just would like to know: um, Did you take like when you sold Angelist and you stepped down, baby, as a CEO? Um, how many people were you managing? And I'm taking again, like, you know, the beginning of your answer saying that you, you, you describe yourself as a creator. I don't believe that all entrepreneurs are born creator or manager. Did you had to improve on your management skills? And in which category did you, you know, uh, took the most fun and the most joy out of it? Yeah, the, the crazy thing is, um, so before Product Hunt started, I never managed anyone, not a single person professionally. I was a product manager in, in the gaming industry and um, mm-hmm. you know, I had no direct reports. I, I worked with a lot of people. Like That's one of the beauties of product management is you work with basically everyone in the company and and that's like a really very valuable like place to be in and, and I learned a lot through that. But I, I never managed anybody. And so fast forward, you know, uh, you know, when Product Hunt started now I was recruiting and building a team and trying to put on that hat of like, oh, people are looking to me now for guidance and advice and direction in a that is a little bit daunting. Um, now it actually is quite easy when you have high, high conviction combined with momentum, meaning 
if you have conviction in your ideas, it's it's not like you're selling. You don't even have to. It's almost like you you don't even have to try to sell. <laughs> it's almost like, hey, here's what I believe. Uh, and if you want to get on board, come on board and and be aligned with me. And if you don't, then you're probably not the right person to work with. So, in some ways, I found it very natural in the early days of product hunt mm-hmm. to recruit and to get people excited. But I will say that, you know, I learned a lot, I think, along the way on like, how do you actually build a team and manage your process? And um, I'm still I'm probably not the best like manager. In fact, I, I don't like managing people, meaning I love working and collaborating with people, but I dislike the the need to make sure that the ship is running, like operationally running um, tightly. Uh, what I mean by that is I prefer more of the creative zero to one aspect. I love collaborating with with designers and engineers and other operators and people to come up with new ideas, but then to manage mm-hmm. the, the project management aspects or the operational aspects of building a company. I'm not naturally, well, it's just not my preference, I suppose. Um, so I, I I would say I learned a lot and probably wasn't the best like manager throughout the entire journey of Product Hunt, but um, but yeah, I learned a lot. I hope your employees still have good memories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm proud and, and you know, I'll, I'll say I'm not the best manager at the same time. We, we have people at Product Hunt who've been there for eight plus years um, still today. Now, I'm no longer at the company, but, you know, I, I worked with people who, you know, still at Product Hunt, worked with me for many, many years. Like the average tenure of like someone in technology is, I actually don't know the number, probably like less than two years. It's pretty crazy yeah, actually definitely. in terms of like how long people last at companies and you know, a lot of my former teammates have gone on to do some really cool things post Product Hunt too, and some of them starting their own companies, starting their own venture funds, joining really amazing companies. Um, so I'm proud of like the network that we built, and proud of the people that that are still still there today. So, so if we discuss just a, a little sec about you know your top management position, so what was the peak of like the number of employees? Like how many employees were you managing at the same time? And could you tell us like a little bit? So you said that you. I'm not going to say dislike, but let's say that you prefer to be a creator rather than, you know, managing people, uh, even though I'm pretty sure that you were happy to see the ship growing and growing and the culture, you know, um, remaining with it. But yeah, what was a typical journey for a CEO uh, of a company like Product Hunt? Yeah, and we, so we, I think at our, I think 20, maybe 24 people was the most that that we had at Product Hunt when I was leading the, the company. And so it was actually very small in the world of startups. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was by design um, for two two reasons. One, we didn't need a lot of people. It's not, not like we needed a giant sales team. We didn't need a massive engineering team. And two, culturally, I'm a big fan of keeping things smaller. Now, this could be a con. This could be actually one of my weaknesses to some extent. But I believe that if you hire the right people, uh, especially when you're building more zero to one, like you're constantly iterating on new ideas, less so like scaling to like a large scale, having really strong people and having ownership in very small groups, sometimes one engineer leading one single project can actually be faster Mm -hmm. than if you scale a team to a much larger size. And so, you know, it was... There are constant process iterations. You know, when we went from like six people to fifteen people to twenty plus people, you you go through different stages of uh, you know evolution and, and how do we ship together and work together. But like fundamentally, I, I prefer it being small and and um, I just think it's more fun too, um, frankly, than like managing. The more people you have, the more managerial kind of like aspects you have, and the more coordination overhead there is. And there's just a lot of other challenges that come with that. 
Is it like the and the less value you can see at a short term, you know? Well, I mean, the, again, some of this, I, I always hate giving advice in startups because it's all, always contextual to some extent. Um, but for your average company, I would say if you have really strong people who are very aligned and driven, um, let's say you're building a software company, you can move incredibly mm -hmm. quickly. Um, and until you get to the point where you need to scale, you have something that's clearly hitting product market fit. And that that's the point when, okay, now I need to dramatically scale sales or dramatically scale engineering because we have very high confidence and clarity around like what we need to invest in. But in the early days, you don't know what you need to invest in. You just need to try a bunch of ideas and like essentially like it's almost like you're blind. You're like working through the idea maze and trying to like figure out the exit. Um, and having more people makes it more difficult because what you have to do now is coordinate there's there's just more friction and coordination you have to uh, get input from more people you have to coordinate outputs and projects with more people and that just magnifies the amount of like operational overhead that goes into shipping like a, a v1 or an idea got it v very clear and i last question promise on actually product one, one this thing is I'll, a... i'll mention uh, sorry to interject yeah, tell me. i think this is actually no. important the other the other challenge is if you have too many people at a company like more people mm -hmm. than you actually need in the early days, it actually can cause a lack of focus as well. And so what I've seen some companies do is they have all these people and they have to keep them busy. And so you're like, well, okay, we have this project over here, but I have these five other people, five other engineers, like they need to work on things too. So let's redesign this this page or let's like do this other thing that actually isn't that important, isn't that meaningful. And as a leader, you have to keep people just busy and motivated and, you know, you can't just have them sitting in their thumb. So until you know exactly what they need to be focusing on, like if you have high conviction bets um, in what you're building, then it, it can be a massive distraction when you have a large team. Got it. I think I still feel it's really, really hard, you know, to anticipate. Uh, it depends on your needs. And I feel that a lot of founders that have like a, a huge ton of money on the table want to recruit and spend that money. But I feel that you you explained it very well. It's a complete different job from building a company going from zero to one uh, versus being on a hyper skating mode. And by the way, do you believe that you know the um, the pace at which you grew with uh, with the product hunt might be also the key to the success and to the to uh, to the sale to um, to angel list. Um, well, when you say pace, you mean in terms of headcount or or another aspect? No, uh, well, headcount, but I guess it's also about like um, you know, like uh, how fast you grow, and so how fast, obviously, headcount, so how fast you recruit, but also how fast you want to spend money. You want to, uh, I don't know, gain new clients, to launch new projects, to diver diversify, sorry, and at the end, mm -hmm. to be in the risk of losing your main focus. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, like startups in the early days is, is basically a combination of like, um, it's like, if you were to put it in a math equation, it's like you, you have speed of iteration of ideas and then the quality of those ideas. So let's take an extreme. If, if you have all really bad ideas, like 100% of them are going to fail, no matter how fast you're iterating, it doesn't matter. Like you're ultimately not going to build something sustainable or valuable. The other reverse is if you have really good ideas, but your iteration is super slow, you might never actually have enough time or it'll take way too long to actually get to a point where you're shipping something valuable. And so in a perfect world, you have both highly informed, smart ideas and you're shipping really quickly. And I think both are really important um, because as, as much conviction as smart as any founder is, like your ideas are probably not always 100% going to be 
like it. Um, it just takes mm-hmm. iterations to, to get to that final kind of vision. And so, so for product, and I think we, I don't know, there's always, in hindsight, of course, there's a lot of mistakes in terms of like what we made. But I think in terms of the, the team size, I think it was adequate. Um, I think there's other decisions we made in terms of, you know, the ideas, some of the ideas we chose, you know, didn't pan out. And in hindsight, I could see, okay, I probably could have predicted that, like some of the products that we we invested time into. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of things around the iteration cycles, maybe processes that we could have changed that would have, you know, led to better outcomes. Um, but it's at the end of the day, it's it's kind of like, it's just a combination of, it's, it's just a series of ideas and iterations, ideas and iterations. Um, in the early days so test and learn i got it who who like can you name maybe one or two products that you are so happy to have helped boom on the internet thanks to a uh, product hunts mm. yeah so i mean there's there's obviously thousands um a couple that come to mind so one that comes 50, to mind 000, I, think. I think yeah <laughs> I, i forgot i lost track um but yeah it sounds maybe <laughs> accurate it's a lot um Yeah, the one that comes to mind that was fun was Meerkat. And Meerkat, I've, I've now become friends with with Ben Rubin, the, the former CEO of Meerkat. And, you know, while Meerkat didn't, you know, Meerkat pivoted into House Party and then was acquired by Epic. And and while Meerkat is not around today as like a success, um, as an individual independent app, um, the actual launch itself was really fun. It was one of those moments, I think in 2000, was it 15 or 16? Um, when mm-hmm. it launched on Product Hunt and then quickly it, it, captured the zeitgeist of, you know, tech in general. And people were jumping on and, and live streaming, you know, uh, their moments. I live stream my like home, my walk home, which sounds like, like similar to like when, when people on Twitter used to like, you know, tweet about their, their breakfast, I would live stream my walk home, you know, from the office or something. And there's a magical moment of like serendipity and connection and, and playfulness. And it, and it really was largely like, triggered and then spiraled into the tech press, you know, through product hunt in the early days. So that was really fun. Um, one that's maybe more impactful and like, uh, you know, that, that we can point to today is notion and notion has a really interesting story. And, you know, it's a, it's a product and company that was around for quite a while before it really took off. And, um, Ivan from notion, he, I think he has a blog post or some, some tweets about this, but he dedicates a lot of, Some of their success, you know, early on to product hunt when they launched, it really gave them gave them a kickstart and kind of a bump uh, that they needed to, you know, ha- well, I don't want to speak on his behalf in- entirely, but it was very helpful in their early days. Um, and this was well before Notion is, you know, what Notion is today. You know, people look at it today Definitely. as a multi-billion dollar successful company. And at the time when it mm. launched in product, it wasn't that. It was just a, a really novel uh, idea. Um, but what was the first version of the product? Like, I, I honestly didn't know, and I use Notion on a daily basis. I didn't know that they launched on Product Hunt. So, what was like the um, the first version of the product, and what what was the value captured by the community? Yeah, you know, I I don't remember the specifics of what the product looked like, but it, I mean, it had the core aspects of of what Notion is today in terms of uh, document editor with like folders and structure. And um, the beauty of Product Hunt is it's now kind of an archive, so it's been around over nine years. You can go back and search in the archives. You can see what the gallery or the screenshots of the products looked like back then. You could see the introduction from the maker, the founder, when they launched. You see the questions that came up. It's it's sort of like this this. Um, it's like a museum in a sense. And uh, I, I always kind of wondered like, you know, if, if product Hunt was around 20 years ago, you know, when Facebook launched or, you know, when, when Google launched even before that, um, 
what would what would Zuckerberg say? What would his introduction be, you know, to the company? What would people ask and, and what questions would they have? And I think it's kind of fun. So I don't know. Fast it forward is. ten years from now, we're <laughs> gonna have this this like massive database of just uh internet entrepreneurship and building and creation, um, which I think is really cool. It, it is. And uh, yeah, actually, this is on my homework, my to-do list. I'm going to dig into your archives. Um, we talked about archive and you talk about a database. Uh, do you know, like at the moment right now, or have you already had like offers to basically monetize that database? I don't know if you have like basic use cases that you feel could be responded to. We've had over the years, interest from particularly like VCs or analysts exploring like, hey, can we use your API for trying to gather signals, let's say, to, to surface like investments or, or opportunities? Um, to be honest, it's never been a focus. It kind of goes back to the focus piece I mentioned earlier. Like it, it didn't feel like the right thing for us to invest in at the time. And I, I, I'm sure there are opportunities, but we haven't pursued any of them in terms of selling, you know, the API. So, so it's not or, a closed door. So you're no, just saying no, we it's not have a closed door, you haven't taken the look. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not a closed door per se. I mean, it's not my decision necessarily to, to invest in it or not. But we do have an open API in the sense that, you know, today, whoever's listening, if you have an idea, we've had many people use it to build all kinds of things. Um, and so, so, yeah, if anybody comes with novel ideas, by the way, just like email me. Um, just because I think it's always interesting to consider. Can, can, can you give us your email, Ryan? I mean, I have it, but I'm yeah. not going <laughs> to allow oh, myself yeah. to do that. You could just do ryan at ryanhoover.me. Get it. And uh, I, I'm going to put it in the description. Um, thanks very much. Can you tell us now to talk a bit about uh, Weekend Fund? What is it? Again, what's the why? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we mentioned just Product Hunt and AngelList. Did you have already like the the ID like I don't know if it's in a part of your brain uh, when you sold Product Hunt or like what was the the you know the end of Product Hunt and the beginning of uh, uh, Weekend Fund? Yeah, so so AngelList. Uh, funny enough, AngelList. I used to browse pre Product Hunt like a year or two before Product Hunt started. I used to browse AngelList looking at companies because I was curious. I was like, what are people building? What are they making? And obviously, Angelus was never built for that. It's, it's you know, at the time, it was, I don't even think they had the talent network um, uh, at that that moment. But it was really not built for consumers to browse or discover new products. And so I found that kind of like... It, it was for investment opportunities or not even at the time? Yeah, it was it was purely like investor focused, investor and founder focused. Okay. And um, so I find that kind of like ironic a little bit. Uh, and... And so AngelList, you know, since when we were acquired, you know, the two two areas of focus are, you know, certainly the investing side. So how do we help founders raise capital? How do we help investors, you know, invest in companies? And then the other is the recruiting side. So how do we help people find great jobs? How do we help, help companies, you know, recruit great talent? And then if you think about like, okay, those cover two very important things in any startup's journey, like capital, um, recruiting. And then the other thing that AngelList did not have, which was really like distribution and community. And so that's sort of where Product Hunt came in. And if you think about it, like those three things kind of combined together, create like, we, we called it internally like the th like three pillars of a stool. You know, it's like the, the stool might have three legs and like with two legs, it's, it's strong, but like with three legs, it's even stronger. It's more stable um, in terms of holistically like supporting the ecosystem. And so mm -hmm. from like a cultural and like strategic perspective, it fit really well. We sold in the very end of 2016 is when we sold AngelList. And then 
where weekend fun comes in, um, I stayed on by the way, is, is uh, just to, to clarify. Um, well, yeah, yeah that, I know so. it's not the, what I was saying, the end of product hunt, I was like, well, it's not really the end. So sorry. And you still have like yeah, a yeah. position at the moment where you're working still with product hunt, uh, employees, right? Uh, informally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have like a formal position, okay. but yeah, I'm in the Slack. I'm, I'm there to, to, yeah, answer questions and, uh, to not manage. Yeah. We understood that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no management, uh, right now. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, we acquired by AngelList, but we remain really as like an independent company within AngelList as kind of like a hold co in a sense. And so that really allowed us to stay very much like a startup in the sense that we we had autonomy, we had our own brand, we had our own, still our own team of about 20, 22-ish people most of that time focused on just building mm-hmm. product. Hunt. And um, that was great. And, uh, you know, in 2017, I also started Weekend Fund and that was really inspired by you know, I'm already speaking with a lot of founders. I'm, um, you know, building this network, this brand of early stage like founders and connections and things. And so, I wanted to explore investing and um, get some experience and see if I'm good at it, see if I like it. And and so it was really mid 2017 started a weekend fund, just a very small venture fund. Um, and now we're you know more than five years later on our, our third fund. Um, very like little question, but was it just a personal you know, curiosity, or did you want to bring anything else back to the, uh, to the, um, you know, to the ecosystem? Did you feel that you were, you know, uh, legit to help new founders build their products? Um, yeah. So, and maybe you had that like famous imposter syndrome. No, I don't know if after selling back to, uh, to, to angel this product hunt, you felt that you were more uh, legit to help the founders. But did you have like a background of, you know, helping founders or even investing in their products? Yeah, I, I never actually invested prior to starting the fund. And that was primarily for, the truth is it was for optics reasons, meaning in the early days of product hunt, I didn't want anyone to perceive my investments to have any kind of conflict with the authenticity, let's say, of product hunt or the community. And and so there was some mm. concern of, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to invest at all, nor did I have capital or really even the motivation at that time to raise a fund. I was really focused on just building product hunt. And then post-acquisition, it, it became easier from an optics perspective. It also was at a time when Angelus was just releasing venture funds, which essentially operationalized all the backend, the illegal like many of the things that go into operationalizing a fund and running a fund were now sort of taken off my plate. And being within AngelList, I was a great sort of like, almost like a beta user uh, to some extent for them uh, with their new product. And so for me, it was it was a moment and an opportunity to, like part of it's just explore a different career path that's very related to what I've already been doing for the most part. And I'm also a big believer in sort of this... Um, some people call it like multi-hyphenated careers or like fluid, more fluid working where, you know, we don't li- really live in like a nine to five. Um, well, I should say some people don't. Uh, a lot of knowledge workers don't work in a traditional nine to five anymore. A lot of people have side hustles. They have hobbies. They have projects on the side. And, you know, weekend fund, I called it weekend fund for a bunch of reasons. But one was, you know, it's sort of my nights and weekends fund uh, at the time when I was running product hunt. And um I took calls on the weekends primarily with founders, for example, and and uh, I find it fun. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot. So it made process. sense. <laughs> uh, 
Makes sense. Okay. I would say the other thing about investing too is like the earlier you can do it, the better because it is they're long feedback cycles. It just takes a long time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for early stage investments to mature. And so the sooner anyone can get started in in investing, the better. Uh, it just means you'll you'll learn sooner, and hopefully that'll compound over time. Yeah, that, that's funny because you talk about you know the nine to five kind of life. But before we talked about the balance between personal and professional life and projects in general. So uh, uh, yeah, I feel that I don't know if it's like entrepreneurs or if it's like in a way our new generation that want to find not just a balance but like complementarities between you know professional and personal um, side of life. Um, coming back mm-hmm. to uh, so first of all, why weekend fund? <laughs> What's like? Can you tell us a bit about the name? And also, I feel that you, uh, I think that you co-founded that also with uh, uh, with one of your co-founders. So yeah, if you want to present her, I think it's a girl, right? Yeah. So weekend fund. So named it for an. Three reasons, primarily. One, um, it was sort of like nights and weekends in the sense that uh, I was mostly working on it on the weekends while I was leading the product hunt team as well. Two, it was more friendly. I think weekend fund is more friendly than like Hoover Capital or something that's like a little bit more sterile or traditional. Um, and three, it's also kind of like a hat tip to, you know, the people who are hacking on ideas on nights and weekends. It's sort of, you know, there, there's like Chris Dixon quote that's something along the lines of, um, you know, the, the things that people do on the weekends now will be the things that people do in the nine to five or in the future, you know, in their weekdays or he, he says it a little bit more eloquent Pro- projects that um, matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it's really kind of scratches that curiosity. Like what is the thing that you're, you're tinkering with, you know, on the, on the weekends, what are the things that you're thinking about in the weekends? I think those are always really interesting kernels to explore. So that that's where the name came from. And um, the fund started initially as a $3 million fund. So very, very small, and ran that for about two years and then realized, you know, I could use a lot of help in a bunch of different areas. And so hired, um, well, put out a, a job posting for chief of staff, interviewed a bunch of people. And then Vedika, um, who at the time, well, she's still living in London, but she was living in London, um, connected with her okay. through Harry Stebbings. Actually, he made an introduction and um, she joined now about three and a half years good ago. Good reference. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Good reference. Um, she'd been writing these fantasy memos. So she she'd already had a little bit of like, kind of more internship VC experience prior to this. Um, but at the time she was she was working full-time as a product manager in fintech and really loved venture, very smart. And she was on the weekends writing fantasy memos for potential investments just to explore and use that as sort of a vehicle to learn herself. So anyway, we, long story short, connected and um, she's now partner at the fund with me. Good and, intro. And we work together and okay. yeah, and uh, it's been great. How, how, how many uh, yeah headcounts? How many of you are working full time on the on the fund? So it's just uh, me and Vedika, and then we we brought on two part time analysts recently, about two three months ago. Um, so yeah, okay, you could not manage the whole deal flow. Too much deal um, flow. Well, we're actually they're helping with like diligence and and some deal flow, but we're actually working with Eric and Celine more. Um, on a bunch of projects that we're doing. So some of them are market maps that we're exploring. We're doing more like public content. Um, we're exploring some ideas around community and building some products internally as well. And so in some ways their title is analyst, but it it's sort of like when, when Vedika joined initially as chief of staff, she did everything with me and still does. Um, mm-hmm. So because we're a small team, many people get to wear many hats. 
which I guess you also like and you can take like, uh, you know, do test and learn, do the feedback loop uh, closely and, uh, and yeah, um, take decisions faster. Um, can you tell us a bit about the investment thesis? And I believe that to all the entrepreneurs that are looking to fundraise, it's the moment where you should listen carefully. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's a, I, I talk to a lot of people who want to start a fund. And the funny thing is like, um, my general advice, uh, everyone's different, but generally it's like, you should probably focus on one specific vertical and become an expert and build a brand around it. And that that's one, a way to, to really solidify yourself in that space and get the best deal flow and, and really stand out mm -hmm. from the rest. Um, now that said, we don't do that. We do kind of the opposite. And so we're, I knew it. we're more <laughs> um, So my my dad would always joke like do as I say not as I do. Um, he he says kind of in a tongue in cheek way. Um, but for us, it's it's really it all comes down to like what is your core competence and what's authentic to you as an investor. And for us, mm -hmm. we are we're more of a networked investor in that we we invest broadly. So we're investing in B 2 B B 2 C. We invest in crypto. We invest in SaaS. We invest in like boring uh, boring in the sense of like you know, software for like SMBs. Administrative. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Accounting stuff. So, Yeah. We also invest in like crazy weird stuff, consumer social. And and so we're, we're the through line through all of this is we're really, really trying to understand what is the technology or cultural, or maybe somebody call it, some would call it like um, consumer behavior shift. So what's changed um, in those areas and, and what makes this possible today? And having seen, you know, tens of thousands of products launched from product hunt, like every, every idea has pretty much been thought of. <laughs> and many of those ideas have been tried. And so we try to really understand what's changed, what's sort of um, the, the why now to, to this particular product or, or idea. And so a good way to articulate or, or like uh, make this more clear is, is a company like Deal. Uh, we're in seed stage investors in Deal, which is now a multi-billion dollar company, focusing on building software and tools for remote workers. And at the time, we, we had a, a high-level thesis and interest in remote work, partly driven by Product Hunt, which is fully distributed across many countries. I've seen some of the pains and, and also the benefits of building a remote team. And Deal, mm -hmm. this was 2019, I believe, is when we invested, or 18, I forget exactly. Um, you know, part of their thesis and realization was, one, a belief that remote work will, will increase, and two, uh, a realization of how difficult it is to be legally compliant and like execute on that across different countries and cities and so on. And so anyway, long story short, we invest in Deal. They've done fantastic. In fact, today they announced that they just hit $295 million in ARR for 2022 um, for a company that's less than I, like I was years a, old. It's wild. Yeah. So, okay. So I was about to ask like what all the biggest investments that you have made but i think you gave like one example uh i just would like to come back on one thing the fund is like six year old right 2016 Almost, yeah. you said or 2017 yeah mm -hmm. how how did you manage to to raise already like three funds so the first one was three million you said right mm -hmm. um but yep. yeah what's the side of the two others and can you just Because I feel that's also like you need to convince limited partners. So basically the people you're going to, to, to manage the, the money from. Um, mm -hmm. Is it the same as being a salesperson for Product Hunt? Like, do you, or do you see differences, you know? I think it's yeah, a I different mean, market. Yeah, running, investing is a sales job, uh, fundamentally. Like, uh, not everything is just sales, but it's a big part of it. So you're, you're always convincing founders to take your money. You're convincing LPs to, to invest and... So there is a sales aspect to it. Um, 
with the first fund, it was it was just all the LPs were people I'd known for the most part and people who had invested in Product Hunt. And so since the fund size was relatively small, I didn't need to really go far outside my own network. And fortunately, mm-hmm. they were, you know, they had enough trust in me to to deploy their capital. But at the time, I the initial goal was one million and I going back to your comment about imposter syndrome, I didn't know if I could raise it. I, I wasn't sure if they would invest. Um, this was also a time when far fewer people were, were starting funds. It wasn't typical for a CEO to like start a fund on the side. So I had a lot of imposter syndrome there, but you know, fast forward, raised 3 million. The second fund, we raised 10, um, about two years after the first. And, and then now we're, we're in our third fund, which is 21 million. And it's by design. We, we may not, we may even scale it back. Honestly, we're, we're not planning to grow the next fund um, all that much. Mm-hmm. I, I really want to keep it small, keep the team small, and what that allows us to do is is be more collaborative. We can write smaller checks that are still very meaningful for the fund. We can bring in other co investors. We can hopefully provide far more value than we take. Um, the larger your check size, mm-hmm. the more value you need to create. Essentially, it's like a founders are selling equity for some sort of value, and so you know. We think about like what what did what's a good product for founders, and we believe smaller checks that provide tremendous value that can also be collaborators with the ecosystem is is kind of where we want to play. Definitely. So money and services, um, got it. Um, I mean supports. Um, if we come back just a little bit about um, weekend funds, when okay, basic question: Do you uh, do you have like um, you know I don't know if it's a scrapping tool or do you check weekly all the new projects that have been launched on Product Hunt, and is it the source of pot- potential good deals for weekend fund? It um, it it is indirectly in many ways. What I mean by that is most of the founders. I'm I'm surprised, and hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but I'm I'm shocked if a founder that I speak with doesn't know what Product Hunt is, and in Probably in most cases, I don't know the actual number, but maybe a majority of them have launched on Product Hunt at some point in their life, um, or mm-hmm. at least a good portion of them. And so that that creates a very warm, welcoming kind of like first conversation. Um, or when I reach out to a founder, let's say I, f- I find something on Product Hunt or somewhere else where I'm like, oh, this is really compelling, and I email them or DM them, it's a much more welcoming kind of open because they're familiar with Product Hunt or, or maybe me through Product Hunt. And so it's been tremendous Definitely. In terms of access and and just breaking the ice in a sense. Um, we we're exploring a lot of outbound strategies right now. Um, some that like tap into product hunt potentially, um, but also some other ideas that we're working on um, to do more outbound kind of like sourcing, uh, kind of almost like product hunt, but for investing. But um, but yeah, majority of uh, I would say our deal flow is a combination of like from other co investors, from founders directly reaching out. Um, and then more the serendipity of, uh, of seeing a product that sparks our interest that um, we want to pursue. V- very clear. Uh, but you're not going to give us all the secrets you use <laughs> to, uh, to source all your deals. But I feel that, uh, yeah, definitely from your network and also like, in a way, your track record. Um, I feel that as an entrepreneur, even though you might not invest in us, uh, it's always great, you know, to to discuss about your product with someone that built um, and have seen more than fifty thousand products. I have like my last question. I know it's a bit broad, but I would love to get your views on that. Um, mm-hmm. I personally, so during Clubhouse, I think it was like two years ago, Clubhouse, the the big trend. Um, mm-hmm. I I was discussing with some friends because I was working in VC at the time. Uh, I'm not gonna talk too much about myself, but basically, I wanted to have your views on democratizing 
investments or angel investing to people that might not be, uh, you know, as fan as us in tech and product and like the whole startup ecosystem. Do you feel mm -hmm. that in a few years from now, and do you feel that we're we're having a huge turn at the moment? Meaning that in a few years from now, you know, like people that are 40, 50 year old will own cryptos, will own obviously real estate and stock markets, but also, uh, you know, unlisted uh, uh, stocks from unlisted companies such as uh, startups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing very um, broad. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing a lot of interesting exploration, both culturally and, and new startups emerging. Um, making other asset classes, you know, investable. So one example of that is we're investors in alt, which started off with sports cards, but, you know, longer term may expand into, well, they're doing some video game kind of asset investing now, but you can imagine a lot of other asset classes in the future uh, in their pipeline. There's, mm -hmm. of course, um, you know, crypto in, in broadly speaking, is it, take, take, take what you think about crypto. Um, well, regardless of what you think about crypto, what it, what it's enabling or potentially enabling is an alignment between the creators, businesses, and their their users and community and investors. And so I think that in abstract is very, very interesting to explore. There's startups like Humanism who's exploring like different ways to invest in people. So instead of investing in a C-Corp, can I invest in you, Yassine, um, and, and your like potential value creation over the next you know two decades? Um, and so I find all of that really interesting. Now, there's another part of me that's a little bit as we've seen more venture funds and more people entering the early stage startup ecosystem and investing, it does make me wonder, mm -hmm. is it getting too crowded? Now, founders won't say that. Founders are like, of course, we want more investors. Um, and I believe strongly Because they gain the power then. Yeah. They're, they're, it's like a supply and demand thing. If, if you like 10x number yeah. of investors and keep the, the number of founders constant, it just makes it gives them more leverage. Um, so of course that's positive for founders. I also believe that there's no, it's not like there's a limit of great ideas. It's just a deploying that capital smartly is what's important. What I'm getting at is while I'm definitely not one to say we should have fewer investors and that fewer people should invest. What I do wonder though, is like what's next um, or what other models are there that aren't the traditional venture kind of model Um And of course, there's a lot of experiments in this stage, but that's that's kind of what I'm more and more interested in is like what other models are there to explore that aren't the traditional, you know, fun with a two and 20 and, you know, invest at a 10 to 20 mil cap early stage company that you hope to liquidate in, you know, 10 years. Like, I don't know. I think there there's a lot to be explored, I think, in, in where the world is going, both culturally and from a, like a financial perspective. So I guess future will tell us. <laughs> We will see, and yeah, hopefully, we'll see. we we can help. We can help to uh, to to democratizing this whole uh, investment thing. Um, this is coming to an end. I know that you have like a meeting in like one minute. Yeah. Um, can I ask like two, three questions very shortly? You know the questions at the end, but you might yeah. be a little bit late. Is that okay, Ryan? Yeah, I'll be I'll be okay. It's um, I I told him I might run a little bit late, so we're all good. So yeah. Thank you very much for staying here with us. Thanks again for all like the the you know the feedbacks and all the questions that I asked you, but that that I feel that you asked yourself. Uh, so really, I'm I'm really happy like for this full transparency. And thanks again for uh, spending this few last minutes with us. My fires chat questions. I don't know how to say, but it's going to be very easy. The first one is simple. What would be the word or combinations of words to describe entrepreneurship for you? 
so my dad always said, find a need and fill it. Um, another way of saying it's like find a problem and solve it. And I think fundamentally that's what entrepreneurship is, is, you know, identifying problems and then building solutions to those problems that people care about. Straight to the point. What's your biggest fail in your entrepreneurial journey so far? Biggest fail? Um, I mean, I, I would say there's like a lot of, a bunch of small, not small, but a bunch of failures in, let's just say the product journey. Um, there are projects that didn't turn turn out successful. Um, there are mistakes we made. And I kind of, I don't see this as a, a failure per se in, in the sense that, um, well, it is a failure. I'll acknowledge that. But it's an inevitable failure to some extent. Like if if 100% of your your ideas are working, then you're maybe not swinging hard enough or you're you're like some sort of crazy fortune teller, um, which I don't know. I have yet to meet one, so. <laughs> Got it. Um, next question. Um, do you have one sector that you wish to be more digitized in the next, um, in the next months, years, weeks, days? I don't know. Hmm. One one area that we're exploring more of is, um, and we're actually doing a market map on this now, but technology for SMBs. So my parents are are entrepreneurs and um, so are my girlfriend's parents and so are Vedika's parents. Uh, so we're, we're, we're familiar with yeah, these small, small businesses, um, which there are many. Uh, um, we're seeing an interesting shift towards, well, generation, generationally. Uh, we're seeing a lot of like baby boomers in the US retiring and then passing on their business maybe to their their um, children or somebody else. And I think that creates some new energy and, and also more digitally native people taking over these businesses that might want to adopt more software in their SMB in different ways. And so kind of at a broad broad level, we're very interested in that space um, right now. Okay. So is, you feel, if I understand that those people are SMBs, huh? a little bit left over, you feel, in the digital uh, revolution that we're living yeah, there. I mean, there's certainly a number of different technology companies serving them. Um, but if you think about like most technology, if you think about like what has been most serviced in technology, let's take tools like developer tools is one of the most serviced areas because engineers see problems, they have problems, they solve them themselves. And so when you think about like the people who are building, the knowledge workers who are building these solutions, they're going to focus on the things that they, they feel the most. And so then if you expand into other areas like SMBs, like most technology entrepreneurs or people in, in knowledge work probably haven't worked in, well, they've had maybe like college jobs, high school jobs, early jobs, but they haven't operated an SMB in many different various verticals. And so the problems are less close to them. And so therefore we see a lag in sort of um, investment in those areas. And I think a combination okay. of generational shift, uh, COVID also has accelerated some of this adoption of, of digital technology solutions in those spaces. Um, I think all of these kind of trend lines are, are shifting maybe more interest towards supporting SMBs. So if I understand well, dear entrepreneurs, if you want to raise funds from weekend funds, <laughs> you need to create a solution for SMBs, right? <laughs> that's, that's one of the categories, yeah. Definitely, uh, you got my email. You cannot again, say Ryan. no now, Ryan. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, I will not say no. All right, my last two questions, I promise. The first one is very easy. What is your unpopular opinion about tech, startups, entrepreneurship, or we discussed a lot about investments, but basically unpopular opinion, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's actually unpopular per se, um, and I've shared this before, but I think it's like don't raise 
venture capital. Um, and I don't mean that literally, but I think it's very important that people recognize what they're doing when they accept VC money and not to be sold by, um, you know, sold by VCs or sold by the culture uh, of entrepreneurship and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the great thing about raising is, is you can, if things are going well, you can always do it later, theoretically. Um, but it's really a one-way door. And so once you take money, you know, you can't really give it back. It's, it's something that you have to be very serious about. Last question. What's the most underrated advice that whether you would like to address to our audience or to a young Ryan, 24-year-old? Yeah, something I thought about recently as chatting with an entrepreneur about this is um, some some people have a bias towards very short-term thinking and then some people have a bias towards very long-term thinking. And when you're building something new, you you kind of need to do both, ideally. So what I mean by that is if, you're, if your head is in the sky and you're thinking about the five-year vision and it's big and bold and ambitious and, and everything, that's great. But you need to, to come down to earth and be like, okay, well, what am I going to do today? What am I going to launch next week? Like, what is a short-term game plan to get there? And then the, the reverse is also, I think, a problem. If people are too focused on the short-term, and if their goal, again, is to like build a massive multi-billion dollar company, and they're not thinking about the long-term vision, it's also going to be difficult for them to chart a path towards something really meaningful. And this also goes back to the sales kind of component of being a founder too. Like, how do you sell an investor? How do you sell a, you know, a recruit or a, someone, someone that you want to hire? Um, based on only short-term vision. Um, So you really need both. You need someone that can oscillate both the short and the long-term. I don't know what to say else. (laughs) That's just perfect. I don't have anything else to add. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks for um, all the value that you brought to me, first of all, and when it's live to our audience. Uh, No, very seriously, thank you very much. Did you have a good time? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you got good energy. And um, yeah, I appreciate it. Excellent. And you had a great energy also. And uh, I can tell you that that was really, really useful uh, for us in France, but for a lot of entrepreneurs all around the world. That's why we're talking in English. As you can hear, this is not my mother tongue, but let's not judge here, right? Anyways, yeah. thank you very much, Ryan. And uh, yeah, I invite our audience to subscribe because there is a new episode coming in uh, two weeks. Uh, we're going to receive entrepreneurs, but also like personalities such as our artists, athletes, uh, Um, So yeah, a lot of different people from different backgrounds, but I guess they are all passionate about something and, um, you know, they show a lot of resilience as you you showed us. So uh, thank you again, Ryan, for your time. Yeah, thanks, Yassine. Take care, man. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening until the end. If you have enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to let us know by leaving a review and sharing this episode with three of your friends. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, we wish you great success in your projects and do not forget, it's a marathon, not a sprint.